welcome to the Dog Mum Mindset podcast, where we talk dogs, behaviour, your lifestyle and everything in between. And for this episode, I want you to get a notebook or your phone notes or some way record it because there is so much in here and it's completely jam-packed full. I speak with Kate Carling and she talks us through the journey she went on with her reactive dog. And what I think you're going to notice about this is that the way she went about it is something that I really wish more people knew about, that it's not about everything that you throw at the problem. It's sometimes about stripping it all back and getting the transformation that way. So I'm actually going to let you go straight into it without much more further ado because there's so much for you to learn so let's get started hi Kay and thank you so much first of all for coming on the podcast with me I'm really excited to be here thank you for inviting me Lauren oh I'm so pleased we've got you on because I honestly think people are going to absolutely love everything that you have to say about this because I haven't done that many episodes on reactive dogs um, and I know that it's something a lot of people struggle with. So I thought we'd actually go straight into it and kind of let you talk about your journey, I suppose, with your reactive dog and, and where it all started. Yeah, I'd be really happy to do that. So I'll just start off by um, introducing our reactive dog. So his name is Spike. We sometimes refer to him as Spikey. And um, Spike came um, across from the Republic of Ireland, where basically he had been found cowering in the car park of a supermarket and somebody sort of cornered him, caught him. He wet himself, um, which is a fairly typical behaviour for him, and he ended up in a a pound um, in Ireland where... um, Thank goodness, an amazing UK rescue saw him, thought he looked like a lovely dog. And um, they stepped in, they sent in somebody to, because um, the outcome can be, you know, um, euthanization in, in some of the Irish pounds. So, and that was, that was his, going to be his fate, but they stepped in. And they sent an amazing lady who picked him up and took him home as a, as a foster mum for a very short while. And um, and then he was brought over to the UK um, in a van. Um, and when I think how how reactive he is, um, I just know that things like that would have been really stressful for him. But when he got to the UK, one of the ladies that helps to run the rescue, um, he went to her house in Oxfordshire and um, luckily established the most wonderful relationship with her. She was amazing with him. And she um, looked after him, and then obviously the rescue tried to find a home for him. And a year down the line, they still hadn't found a home. And that was because every time somebody went to visit him in the foster home um, that that Cheryl was providing, he just barked his head off and did all the things that a reactive dog does. So... They made a little video to try to get across to people who follow on their Facebook group to say, look, Spike is just afraid and and he he needs a loving home. But sorry, he does do quite a lot of barking. And um, so I my husband and I showed an interest. We asked them if they would get a behaviorist report. So we knew what we were dealing with. And from that, um, Spike came to live with us. And that's Mm -hmm. where you came in, Lauren. Yes, that's where that's where we actually met. So um, you contacted me, didn't you, to say, I've got, you know, kind of a bit of the story that had gone on and said, oh, I, I need some help with this reactive dog. And this was this was going back years. This is, you know, when I was doing in-person training locally. So, um, yeah, then I came out and, and you always said from the beginning, you knew that it would be it would be a process. It wouldn't be a, a, a one off fix. It would be something to to build him up because of the way that he was and just just so people know like what 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 was I faced with when I came to see you what 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 was he like at his worst okay so I remember when you did your your assessment and and of all the people he was he had met when since living with us of all the people he had met needless to say you were the person who who best understood how to be around a reactive dog but even so if I see if I remember correctly I think that we did a little bit of work around finding um what distance somebody could be from her away from him um and what distance he would not feel anxious and I have a feeling if my memory served me correctly but I think it was something like 200 meters we have across the whole paddock it was I the think, whole what I remember it was like the whole 
yeah, like I can't remember. The, I don't know what the distance was, but if anyone thinks of a paddock, it was. I remember it being across there because obviously, you know, like you said, when we go in, you never want a dog to feel anxious or stressed. So it was okay. Let's let's get to that distance and then start working with him. And and that's where it started off with. That's really well remembered, actually. Yeah, it was. And I think what you were looking for at that distance. So within that distance, he was still showing signs of anxiety and reactivity. Mm-hmm. And at that two hundred meters he was starting to show a few more natural behaviors. He felt able to do a bit of sniffing and that kind of thing. So we had our work cut out for us, mm-hmm. basically. Um, I, will, I will say, though, if anyone's listening that does have a reactive dog, um, I'll say at, at this stage, and, and quite possibly I'll repeat myself because it was such an, a turning point for us, but, but to have you on board was 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 such a massive relief I can't tell you so I think it's I think one can feel quite isolated and quite alone with the problem when you have a reactive dog so I suddenly felt like oh I have a team now dealing with this so we have a team to help me and well between you and I we we became the team so I don't you remember where we went from from there I think when we so we kind of established he's reactive but I think the thing to say about Spike is that he wasn't he didn't ever show aggression. It was that going to the toilet, wetting himself, which is a real sign of fear in dogs. And it was that really constant barking. But he didn't show, he would always, he wouldn't want to up the aggression. So he wasn't a dog that I was ever particularly worried about seeing or working with because I knew that aggression would be really his last resort. And I think that's probably um, for anyone listening, because I know there's this whole thing about you know, don't rehome aggressive dogs when from rescues and all of this. But I think the thing to emphasize here is that he was reactive and scared, like you said, there was and that, that and I assume that's why the foster home did so well. And that's why they so wanted to find him a home, because I suppose they could see what a nice dog he was underneath it all. Absolutely. He he was he is an incredibly lovely dog. He it's rather strange and, and it may need you to to explain um you know the contradictions within this but actually he is really scared of people but it's but actually he really loves people so he loves affection and he loves it when he makes a breakthrough with a person and and can have a little bit of physical contact with them so that always seemed like you know massive contradictions to me so I can only explain and maybe you'll explain this in more technical terms but it was as if or it is as if he just lacks the language he doesn't. He, he hasn't got the skill to be able to interact with people. Mm. And I think his his fear holds him back. He probably, you know, he he needs to he needs to learn how to trust somebody, like you said. And and he doesn't. He's too worried to make that first move. He doesn't like you said. He, he, I, don't, I don't think he knows what to do. How to feel better? How to know that it's safe? Until you can really clearly take a lot of time and walk him through it as well so um yeah and I wonder if there's anyone else sort of listening who maybe has a dog who is similar that once they get to know you and they like you then that's you know they're lovely with those people but sometimes it just takes that time for them to get there um I'm sorry I was just going to say but even then he can start to have an interaction takes a long time I mean to be honest I've jumped ahead several years because um you know there were no there were no interactions back there but just briefly jumping forward a, a bit and what tends to happen is that he will have an interaction now but you can see suddenly he thinks to himself crikey O'Reilly I can't believe I'm doing this and then it's like a little panic attack and he when he realizes what what's what he's just done and starts his barking Mm -hmm. again I mean, we can go on later to talk about, we have so many strategies that work so well with him. So we can talk further down the line about those. What um, I wanted to ask was kind of, you spoke about that he is able to meet people. What did it kind of look like between those times? But, you know, how many people has he made friends with over a period of time? Roughly, if, if you've got an idea of that, I don't know whether you do. And um, it's not very many. I always say his address book is is incredibly small. <laughs> He doesn't have many people in his life, if if I'm honest. And the difference between back then and now is that back then I thought that that was necessary. And I thought that, that really the fairest thing to do with Spike would be to try to I don't know if it's the right word, rehabilitate, re-suggests he was he was fine once upon a time, but so but actually maybe the word is 
rehabilitate him. But um, mm-hmm. and I started to do some things with him. And again, nothing that pushed him massively out of, of comfort zones. But but I thought maybe I should get him used to walking along village high streets. And maybe I, we joined an agility club where they were they were really, really kind and, and really helpful. But to be honest, in those sort of situations, Spike was was out of his comfort zone because um, all it would take would be um, somebody walking too close along a street, even if we kept going at a good pace, if they came too close or if a big vehicle trundled down um, a high street or if dogs started barking at the agility class or someone came too close, uh, his barking would start. And once it starts, then kind of all is lost for that session. So he can't come back down he can't say oh my god that's really scary uh, and now I'm going to calm down that's usually the time or what's the time to, to to go home to say okay that's as far as we can go and that's I think that's interesting for people to hear because I think we were kind of talking about he was really really reactive and then we we're talking about some of his friends but I think a big part of it is your decision to actually keep his world quite small so you're not asking him to keep going into these situations you're not actually like you said, trying to to make him act in this sort of in quotes normal dog manner because actually that was probably detrimental for him. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about his small world and and how you went about that. Yeah. So two things made me realise that we needed to start to do things differently, and one of those things was as I just described that it I don't think it was doing him any good. We certainly weren't progressing with him. And the first thing, and secondly, I was finding it all quite stressful. So even at agility, I was conscious the whole time that, you know, that his barking was annoying people. And I would move myself because uh, we'll either talk now or or further into the podcast, but distance is everything to a reactive dog. That's the volume. You can up or down the volume of of how much um, reactivity there is based on how far away you are. So... So I would go a long way away from from where the instructor in the agility field was explaining what people had to do next, and um, and as a result, and Spike would still be barking, and I'd be further further away still, and then the agility instructor would be explaining, and then it would come to my turn and Spike's turn to go around the, the course, and I wouldn't have been able to hear what she was saying, so she would you know get a bit, a bit fed up with it, be like, Kate, hey, why have you gone around the whole course backwards? And but that's because the agility is hard enough anyway, so. <laughs> yeah let alone <laughs> yeah it wasn't in, in fairness spike for those moments for going around the circuits the spike was loved it absolutely loved it mm. but but outside of doing the actual agility course um it, it was a lot for him so so the point really i'm making is that that i was quite stressed um and i and he was stressed and and i think that was a bit of a turning point where i realized actually I, it starts with me doing things that I don't find stressful and um, and not doing anything that's stressful for Spike, but I need the things I, that we do together can't be stressful for me and um, because he, f- he would feed off that stress and it would be unpleasant and, um, and not something I would want to continue on with. So so we, we sort of shut shut his world down, which um, which sounds a little bit extreme and not much fun for him, but actually... When um, we did that, when I did that, um, it made me be incredibly creative about how he had all his needs met um, in his life. So we um, we do Spike and I um, do an awful lot of things, and and he, not I'm, I'm taking credit for this, but my husband equally does a lot of things with Spike. And my elderly mum lives lives here and and um, 87 years old, but she does a lot of enrichment activities with with him as well. So. So basically, we we do go on walks. We do go on walks, but in in we plan those walks carefully. So we know we know the route. Um, we know um, the likelihood. We're going to talk a little bit later, I think, Lauren, about about how how one perhaps should risk assess um, around around um, reactive dogs. So we we can talk a bit more about that. But but so we go on walks where as many things as possible are knowns and not too many unknowns. We do a lot of um, I do a lot of training with him, but um, that sounds really formal um, and actually. Um, it isn't very formal. Sometimes, sometimes it's just tiny little things that Spike and I do together that that we both find really good fun. 
Um, and we do those things on on days where where perhaps he's already had um, a, some kind of a stressor in his life on that on that day. Maybe a workman's come to the house, and I'll think I don't want to layer on top of that going for a walk and risking bumping into somebody. Um, that would be too much for him. So, or equally, to be really honest, if I've had some stress in, in my in my day then um, this makes for a more, more fun time for me. I don't want to, to layer on top any more stress into my day. Um, so we have a whole load of, of little things that we do in and around in the garden, and we're lucky enough to have some, some meadows as well. So we do a load of fun stuff around that. So um, shall, I, shall I rattle through what some of those things are, Lauren? I think that would be amazing because I think there's, there, there might be people listening who have got a reactive dog and they're thinking, I mean, I'm hoping that there might be a light bulb moment of actually I don't need to do all of these things I've been putting us both through. I just need to live a nice life with my dog. So yes, please go through your list. That would yes. be amazing. So none of these are, are rocket science. And if you're um, not really experienced at training, Actually, you don't need to be really experienced at training to do most of these things. Some of some of these things you can simply do them um, by luring with a piece of food or in some way um, creating um, the situation where where your dog can do these things. But just label it at the time that your dog is doing it. And if you do that enough times, as we know from from the classes that we we teach and have taught Lauren that um, eventually if you use a cue enough times at the time of a behavior, then you can start to put it in advance of a behavior. So I haven't done anything fancy here, and this sounds like quite a long list, but um, but this has been over a number of years. So we find a hand touch is extremely useful. Um, and again, I'll, I can explain overall why, why and when we use these things. Um, we actually, we use a chin rest quite a lot um, as well. Okay. So Spike knows how to walk to heel. I don't ask that of him often because we live in the countryside and we don't need to formalize walks in that way. But he will do a heel, which is come to my left side, and he will do a close, which means he'll come to my right side. Um, One of the first cues I ever taught him, super, super useful, is the cue this way. Silly, singing voice there. Yeah, yeah, this way, meaning we're going to go back the way we came. That's really useful if you can see um, a person or some you know dogs coming our way, and we have we don't have enough space to distance from them. I will simply do a U-turn, and Spike's cue for that is this way. And if I can get that cue in quickly enough, because he knows it, he likes that he likes that cue, then I can interrupt any potential reactivity in those moments. So a lot of it's in the timing. Um, so we do other things. Um, we do something called pause up, where he puts his paws up on, onto something, often onto benches and things like that, or logs. Um, we do walk on, which is something we borrowed from the agility classes. So, so for example, when we are going through our village, if I choose to go that direction, I say I choose, but perhaps later on we'll have a chance to talk about how Spike actually makes choices on the walk, more choices than, than I make. So um, if he chooses to go past the pub, if we go that direction, um, he chooses that direction, but he then suddenly thinks, oh, crikey, I've forgotten that direction involves the pub and there can be people sitting outside. So I give him a little cue to do walk on. There's a very high curb then in for about 50 meters before the pub. So I'm straight up, I'll say walk on and he just trots along the curb and that kind of makes him forget that, um, you know, he's about to encounter some scary people and then we hop off the curb and we cross the road. So we're, we're a distance from them. Um, we do attention work where he makes eye contact, some of which are quite advanced now because that's quite easy for him. So, yeah, so I'll hold perhaps a treat out and ask him to divert his, his gaze from the treat on, onto my eyes. We do a head hold, um, which sounds like an odd one, but that's one that we, we, we put in quite often because that we'll talk later about how we manage vet visits. And that's one that we use for vet visits. And we have to inject Spike for a, a medical condition he's got. And we use that as part of that. We use something called tree candy, which um, I, I, I learned many Aww. years ago, I know, where we squidge bits of cheese and things on onto um, trees and other, other mm-hmm. objects on walks. Um, find it. I don't know how anybody manages 
their dog no, no. without <laughs> without finders. It's the first thing I teach when I teach the puppies for for us, Lauren. It's the very first thing mm-hmm. I ever teach, and um, usually the most useful. So I'm not mm-hmm. far off the end of the the list. Um, we have a um, we have two speeds. So I have taught him um, a a cue which is slow which means walk slowly, obviously. And then we have the cue, which is to walk fast. And again, just this sort of thing can be so useful because if he starts to see someone way ahead of us, something in his psyche makes him want to go quite quickly towards them. Okay. Um, it would take you um, to explain why that would be, but um, but whether it's to get information or something, I don't know. But basically, yeah. he's gets you know aroused and then he loses his head and he just starts to walk you know too fast so we have we have slow and fast um and actually when we do a slow his reward for slow is is to then be given the opportunity to do a fast because that slow is boring and fast oh, nice. is rewarding yeah. and middle um if if people listening don't know that how that's so useful to put him into a little place of safety um, we have a cue of leave it, which is where we sorry, what, just to say with middle, just yeah. to describe what is middle when he oh, what position is he in? Really good question. So middle is where he his his um, he's basically doing a sit between my legs. So he comes from from behind, pops his little nose out between. Um, and it's quite a nice position of 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 safety it feels as, as safe for dogs because you know you can sort of bring your your legs close you know slightly closer together and and they feel a little mm-hmm. bit protected so that's another way we practice um we do leave it which for him means look at the scary thing then look back at me and then you'll get a treat which again he can do that but if he's not already gone too over threshold on a walk um um that's another one obviously go go sniff you know giving him lots and lots and lots of sniffing opportunities because that's a wonderful way to to decompress and, and and relax and be in his his own world and then things like over where we'll 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 jump over things um and and so on so the reason i think all of these are so useful is that and we don't do these constantly on a, on a on a walk. We do we we okay. do them in in our garden if I if we feel like a walk isn't appropriate on certain days, okay. and we do them out on walks. But obviously they are interspersed with sniffy time because that's the most calming activity of all. But the reason I'm mentioning these, um, other than that individually, lots of them can be really useful. The reason for mentioning them is that they kind of reframed the walk. So Spike's original walk was about scanning the environment. I don't know if if you want to explain how reactive dogs tend to walk. They we get a lot of whale eye and scanning, don't we? Are there other signs, Lauren? Yeah, just very, very alert, very overstimulated. You know, they see one thing. That for us, we think, well, oh, that's just a leaf blowing, and they suddenly fixate on it. So they're 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 in a they don't feel safe on their walks. They feel like they constantly need to keep themselves protected, and so they yeah they're constantly looking. They're they're not focusing on on their owners. So um, I'm sure anyone that that lives with a reactive dog um, can identify with that feeling that there's not really that much connection between the two of you. I think yeah. can be one of the things as well. Yeah. So that had become the norm for Spike and he didn't he didn't know he only knew that way of walking, like scanning his environment um, or playing. And I think we might have touched on that earlier, Lauren, but equally for a reactive dog, I don't think Spike is unique in this, but but equally overexcitement can equally cause um, reactivity. So overexcitement for him could come in the form of too much retrieving because he's crazy about that or that he's and he loves seeing a squirrel and um, used to be a chaser. But with all these enrichment um, um, activities, we've managed to get his focus much more on me and not on on wildlife. So, um, yeah, so basically we have, re- I don't know, redesigned Spike's walks. So, so oh, they're not, that's a nice way yeah, they're yeah. not, they're no longer, they're not for him and any longer about um, scanning the environment and being nervous. Um, it's about him having sniffy time and then we'll, we'll throw something, throw something in um, that's, that he finds really fun to do. A lot of it seems to be that you're switching him from 
focusing on something and being stressed about something into kind of training mode so you're you're almost switching his his mindset if that makes sense and he's become so used to that I mean it's not easy to do with a reactive dog get them to go from you know staring at someone to doing a hand touch but once a dog has really practiced it like you have over and over it becomes much easier for them to do because the pathways become strengthened so it's amazing all of the stuff that you've been doing has been so amazing with him Thank you so much. And 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 I think reactivity and the stress hormones can just build and build. So I'm I suppose I'm and a lot of what, what we we do with dogs is is to interrupt behaviors. Um and this this interrupts behaviors. So so I would never well, I might use these if if something scary happens, if he does see someone, but but actually my number one thing to do with him in that situation is create space immediately. Um, and again, we'll talk later perhaps about how, you know, to pre-plan walks. Um, and that's one of the things that I do if, if, if there's not going to be enough space. So we'll, we can talk about that in, in a while. Um, very briefly, in case it's useful for people, because Spike is, you know, super easy to reward. And again, that gets lots of attention and make, that's why this is so fun. So so he does sniffy time and then we do these, these enriching activities. And then, you know, and I'm not just pumping constantly food into him. So so food, yes, he's he's completely crazy about food, which is which is good. But I mentioned earlier that going fast, you know, us walking really fast, that's oh, rewarding. Yeah. Um, giving the opportunity to go sniff, which he gets lots of, of, of chances to do that, that's rewarding. Um, Believe it or not, even he's even rewarded by you know I'll suggest I'll go to a patch where where his favourite grass grows because dogs don't just eat any old grass they seem to choose patches mm-hmm. and and that's rewarding so we might do a little exercise Aww. together and then I'll say you know our, our cue to eat eat the grass um, we don't use toys which is unusual and not suggesting that that that's a good idea for all reactive dogs but we don't because he gets overly aroused by toys. He gets mm-hmm. sort of obsessive about, about retrieving. Um, yeah, we do find it's just very rewarding. Um, we've got a really strange one at, at the moment <laughs> as a reward, um, which mm-hmm. is that I just we, he just had a blood draw and therefore all his neck got shaved for that. And it's really itchy. Mm-hmm. So, so, so some, at the moment, that's a, a good old neck scratch where, it, where he oh, retrieves. So, yeah. yeah, but... Um, yeah, so it's but it's the whole walk is one great big wonderful reward for him, and risky things in his mind do come along, but though they those encounters are kept really brief, mm-hmm. um, and and we create the space, and then as quickly as possible we we go back to doing these these little fun activities and sniffing. Oh, it sounds like he has amazing walks, and you you put so much into it. It's not been an overnight thing that you've done but I think also one of the things to come back to is that you've kept the walks very very familiar so you're not trying to again you're keeping that world quite small how do you when you go on walks is there a way that you risk assess walks or you you look at how you can manage the situations because I know that you're really 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 good at risk assessing and I think that's a huge part of people with reactive dogs is literally being able to assess what's going on in the situation so I'd love if you could explain a bit more on that yeah, really happy to do that. So I'm uh, an incredibly risk averse person. And, and as I mentioned earlier, it's very easy for both of us to feel stressed on the walk. Um, and neither of us like that feeling. So, so before I go on a walk, as I alluded to earlier, I will first of all decide, is it even sensible to do a walk? Or are we better to stay in the garden or our meadows and do some, something really fun instead? Mm-hmm. And um, but if we decide, yes, it's a good idea to go on a walk, I won't go at busy times of day because um, I don't want to encounter a lot of, of people. So, again, this is small world stuff, Lauren. So we don't we're not going out seeking people in order to try and rehabilitate Spike. We are just simply trying to keep Spike under threshold um, as far as it, it's possible. So the walks that we go on, um, I look as far as possible for straight stretches, because when you've got straight stretches of, of field, um, or it would equally work on, on footpaths, um, we, can, we can check out or I can check out the environment. I tend to be a really fast walker, so it's very rarely someone comes up from behind us, but I'm able to watch and see what's coming from in front of us. So... 
The other thing I would say with a reactive dog is I wouldn't, I would never have my phone out when I'm walking a reactive dog mm-hmm. because I, I feel like I need to have my wits about me. This sounds intense, but actually so much of this is now on on relaxed autopilot. But um, I'm constantly keeping half an, an ear open for any human voices. Sometimes even if you hear suddenly a big kerfuffle with pheasants and, and noises. Um, again, this is all very rural stuff. And my, I don't know how quite we could translate this to an, an, an urban environment. But, you know, the sound of birds suddenly moving could mean that that some, you know, that people are, are, are nearby. So, yeah, so and I even know if we've got some some stretches. For example, if Spike chooses, we go to the end of our driveway. If he chooses to go left into a, a wooded area, the path there has a little fence either side, and it's not really even, it's barely wide enough for two people to pass. So um, that can be a little bit nerve wracking. So I'll definitely make sure it's a quiet time of day. But in advance, I absolutely have planned what I will do if we encounter, if I start to see someone in the distance, I know already what my strategy is. So often the strategy being, I'm going to go back the way we've come, um, for example, or I might ask the people, could you just wait there? I need to go back a bit to somewhere to give this, this dog more space. Um, and then I even have an emergency procedure, which is that the fence is is low enough for for me to step over. So if I okay. really ran out of options, I would just pick Spike up and step over Um saying pick him up with caution because I can do that and he's comfortable with that. But it's not always a good idea to pick up a reactive dog because, uh, mm. yeah, because um, they are panicking usually and, and that can uh, cannot lead to good outcomes so so that's the sort of thing that we do brilliant and I think you you said about it you know what you do obviously you live in a rural area but I think the same I've worked with a lot of people in London um who maybe struggle with these things I think the the biggest thing is that that time of day is going at that quiet time of day because you also tend to see the same people even in London where it's so busy once you can find a quiet place or the quieter place to go you you start to see the same people and you get into a routine and if you're doing everything that you said which is keeping their world really small then these walks become part of it rather than it being this stressful thing it becomes like you said you minimize the stresses as much as possible so is there anything that you do in terms of management with Spike? So is there anything um, like, do you let him off the lead or do you have any ways that you risk assess that? Or do you, you know, do anything to avoid people coming up to you and, and touching him? Because I think that's a, something a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, we, we definitely do. So I talked about being very conscious of when there are bends in a track or bends on on, on a road. Um, on straight stretches, Spike um, comes off lead. Um, mm-hmm. I am comfortable to do that because he's got a really super recall. Um, so we've got his recall, but equally some of those cues that I mentioned earlier, the fun things we do together, some of those are really, really exciting for him. So so if, if my normal recall for some reason isn't working, then, then I can just you know pretend we're going into a game of treat party or find it or something. So um, I keep Spike on lead quite a lot of the time so actually when I say on lead he's um I have him on a canny cross type of belt so and he's got quite a a long stretch of lead so if we're going about to go around a bend and I haven't been able to check what's coming around that bend I'll I'll just Mm -hmm. call him back we do a quick fun thing and then I pop him back on lead and as soon as we've gone around the bend I think we're good again and off he goes to have to have some sniffy time if um if people are coming, I um, he's I do put him on lead, and then I create as much distance as I possibly can. So he's and and sometimes, to be honest, that's involved me, you know, making my way twenty meters into a sweet corn field or something like that, mm-hmm. but whatever. But whatever it takes to to keep him under threshold. So yes, mm-hmm. so he's he's um, either off lead with with really good recall, thankfully. Um, um, or he's on lead while we risk assess whether anything's going to be around a bend or if we can't avoid and people are coming, then I'll create as much space as I can. And again, this sounds like a lot of work and a lot of kerfuffle, but but it's become a pattern and a routine and we're just really, really used to doing that. And we keep moving. That's the other thing. We never hang about and wait for people to... because. 
you know, people are just so lovely with dogs. And if they have their own dogs, then all the, the more likely that they just want to, to come forward and reach out and give him some of their treats. And, um, and, and that can be, those can be awkward moments because that, that's just way too much for, for Spikey. So in those moments, that's another one of the reasons why I just keep moving. I just say, hi, morning, and we've got to go. Yeah. And away we go. So we keep, we keep those encounters yeah, incredibly short if we do come across people. And it's hard when they look like nice dogs, when you've done work on a reactive dog and actually they're walking quite nicely next to you. People then think they just look like a friendly dog and they want to come over. So it actually becomes harder in some way, easier, but harder in some ways to try and put people off coming over. So, yeah, um, so that's interesting. And, and I think what you said about um, him being, you know, you let him off the because he's got really good recall. But you do still have him on the lead when you cannot risk assess. And I think you're right in that if people do have to keep their dogs on the lead because they're because they're reactive and their recall isn't any good, the, the advice would always be don't let your dog off. Yeah. When they're around, you know, yeah. you can't you can't risk it by letting them off if they haven't got a good recall and they might yeah. go and bark at someone. But I think what you're saying is just being walked on the lead is boring for a dog but if you incorporate all of the stuff you've been talking about yeah then it won't be then that's that's fine that's not we don't have to worry about my dog has to go off the lead every day and potentially would you say for those people um it might be worth taking their dog to like a secure field or something like that once or twice a week to give them that real burn off time so they've got do you think that would help with some dogs uh, that would just be an absolute dream of a walk yeah because then all pressure so i'm not i, I don't mm. feel pressurized on a, on the walks with spiky but if we did go to somewhere like that which is the equivalent of us going into one of our meadows i suppose mm. then just complete and total relaxation um yeah so i do i do highly recommend that um mm. sorry going back to equipment i think it's important to have a reactive dog on a on a harness a really beautifully well fitting harness um because for a couple of reasons one is because you know if they are in any way um lunging i suppose we spike doesn't go all the way to lunging because he never gets that close but um so yeah so a really well fitting harness i think i think is important um, for dogs and for reactive dogs but also I once went on a long line handling course on on how to really properly oh, wow. yeah. line because they they can be super dangerous things to use yeah. if you don't know what you're doing they can be yeah source of all, all all sorts of madness and muddles and and even quite dangerous so so I really recommend learning how to use a long line but again it's not the that's not the best piece of equipment if you're coming right up close to people you're much better than having having a, a dog you know on a lead and i think i'm also probably correct in saying that there is a greater flight risk with a reactive dog um mm. so another reason just to make sure that you're you're risk assessing and you've got them on back on the lead um and that's why i have him tethered to me because I mean, he was found as a stray so i know that potential is there for him for something scary to happen and which is probably how how he was found straying i, I suspect something really scary happened and he just legged it and and got himself yeah. lost so i never i never want to to risk that happening so yeah good pieces of equipment and know and know how to use them mm, yeah i think you're right in a long i think the 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 fact that there's so many of these private fields that people can go to now is almost, it, you know, it would almost in a way be better to teach your dog to walk nicely on a normal lead and then take them to those private leads as much as uh, private fields as much as you can. I mean, long loans are very good. I would always recommend them as, as a way to teach recall. But like you're, you said, if anyone wants to go and use one, then I would probably get someone to come and help you learn yeah. how to do it or get really, really comfortable doing it before you actually go out in public because you do see some um, yeah <laughs> some some things going on there so yeah. um, it's not the tool yeah. for close-up in encounters it's it's definitely yeah. you need to know what you're doing it needs to be used with a harness um and and if you need absolute control i've got control because his recall is so good but if you do need absolute mm. control then you're better having the dog on on a harness and mm. lead but oh they need that freedom to run around there's a wonderful one near near where we are in in essex that 
that is all wooded and and a pond and yeah it's absolutely so it's not just a flat open field so they do exist they're lovely ones and you can even talk to local oh. farmers there's a farmer in in my village um who who approached me and said look i know you know spike is reactive if it's ever helpful to you you can walk around the edges of our fields you'll never encounter anybody around our fields oh, that's so, kind. so that's kind really nice. so yeah. incredibly kind yeah so um that was offered to me but equally you might you know people listening may be able to ask local people if they might mm. they might help out and that just takes a big weight off off one's shoulders yeah yeah i think a lot of it is is taking that weight off and i think um we were kind of talking about earlier that actually in some ways doing these things to keep the world quite small is as much of a behavior plan as the rehabilitation so it, it because spike has improved so so much since yeah. when i first met him and the improvement didn't really come from introducing him to different people it actually came as almost a byproduct of you keeping him very very relaxed taking the stresses away making everything predictable so i, I think that's i, I think if you've got any words of advice as that being a strategy for people with reactive dogs and, and that kind of mindset, I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, I, I, I think you're I think that I hadn't thought of it that way, Lauren, but that is exactly what's happened. We've, we've taken so many stresses out of his life that it's that that he the few that are there, he is able to cope with. And, and I think he knows that that we're not going to expose him massively to to things that, that terrify him. So, um, I mean, what we haven't talked about is the house itself, because um, he has got quite a small world. I mean, I think we all have a dream of going to the pub with our dogs and having dinner parties and, and Christmas and all the family around. And, and that doesn't look like our life. And, um, and we, have, we don't have any disappointment around that. But we, I think it's important to make some provision for, for just in case. Um, so... So we, we do have visitors to the house. We carefully manage those in, encounters. We give Spike a lot of choice by um, using baby gates. And, and uh, if he's not coping with them, we'll invite him to go into a separate room and he'll have something really fun and be on his, on his own or, or with our other dog. Um, if he's semi-coping, then he might choose to be on the other side of a, of a baby gate, um, perhaps with a chew or something. Um, but where we can, we will open the baby gate and he can interact with people. But one of the key things that um, we have done with Spike is we've taught him, I'm sure it was with your help, actually, Lauren, we taught Spike the cue, take a break, because mm. reactive dogs can get themselves whipped up into a bit of a, a, of a loop. Yeah, they don't know what to do with themselves. Yeah. So for Spike, what that looks like is just going, people often come into our kitchen, got really long island in the middle, and for um, and people just stand there or sit there and chat and things. And Spike would just go round and round and round and round the island, bark, barking at them, trying to sniff as he goes past. He wants information. But mm -hmm. I have to literally say to him, Spikey, take a break now. And he literally, he will take himself off out out the door yeah. and go and lie down for a while which um he never thought to do before and he just still doesn't think but if i cue him he's like oh i forgot i could do that and it, <laughs> yeah. it calms him down yeah so and you only introduce it just going back for anyone thinking this you will only in again risk assess ever risk assess everything you only ever do this when there's people that you know yeah will listen to you and that he's maybe yeah. met a couple of times before and you know in all of that um, I just don't want anyone thinking like oh you know I'll I'll start getting my reactive dot you know if there's any again any chance of aggression anything like that with all of this that that would be something for you to go off and, and assess your own dog but um 100%. you know I think with Spike he's, yeah. he's built up such a trust with you yeah. And he and you know him absolutely inside out that you can start. And after all these years as well, you can now start to do these things with him. So, But we don't expose him where there's no, there's no point either. There's absolutely no point in Spike um, coming into contact with a workman that comes into the house. I mean, that's the situation where, where there's no baby gates, there's no chews, there's no going around the island. Um, those times are just for if we've got, you know, some friends who, who've come around and he semi knows them. But I don't see any point in him trying to be around a workman. If 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 somebody comes into the house to do some work, then Spike is very definitely is put in a room with great stuff, mm. and often we're in there, we're in there with him. Even down to if people come for the weekend, 
we'll make sure that he has a lot of decompression time if we've got people over the yeah. over a whole weekend and those will be known people we wouldn't we wouldn't invite someone to stay um our address books become quite small as well as well. <laughs> yeah if um yes if we thought spike couldn't cope then we would um we we wouldn't have them to stay basically because again it was stressful for him and then stressful for us the only other thing i would say um on this subject is that that um, it is really useful if in advance of needing it, you can have a person that will take care of your reactive dog if you can't be there. So I think a lot of us with the reactive dogs, we are the, the point of contact. We're with them a lot of the time. Um, and actually, we had a, a bit of a, a sad family event a couple of years ago, and therefore all the family had to go to to um, an event, um, a farewell um, to somebody close event. And um, and we hadn't got our ducks in a row before before then. Um, we didn't really have somebody um, who would be able, because always family members, family members will take care of mm-hmm. him, Kevin and I, you know, husband and I can't be there. And actually, thankfully, there's a, there's an amazing girl in the village, very used to animals. Um, and she took the time over about three or four weeks to come every morning. And um, she walked straight in. She'd take a tub of, of food. She'd um, walk straight to our back lawn, scatter food all over the lawn. So Spike would be, you know, by about the third or fourth day, he was like, I'm really learning to love this person a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and while while the dogs were doing their find its on the lawn, um, she would be inside filling enrichment um, toys, you know, all sorts of cons mm. and wobble things and, and licky mats and that kind of thing. So that they would then come in and they would find this, you know, it would be like a birthday party for them every day. Mm. So by the time we could and start to start with, I would be there and then I would take myself to a different part in the house. And then we did some practices where I wasn't there at all. She would just arrive. So, yeah, and I really recommend that. It's got to be the right person, but the introduction needs to be, needs to be slow mm. and fun and positive well we had to do that with you didn't we with um the wedding my mum's got a slightly reactive um dachshund um and they're not they're not they're not on you know they're not like level but (laughs) you know it's it's still getting someone that they don't know to come in is is difficult and what happened was my mum had got someone and done this and then she'd been going over for a few weeks in a row it was our wedding party we'd got it all set up and then I think it was five days before the, it wasn't even that it was very she just said Breathe. oh I can't make it now yeah. yeah on the day and then that's when you had to come in and I was like Kate I need someone that's oh, I've never met these dogs before that can that. do it and you were amazing to step oh, in I loved um, doing it I absolutely loved it because actually to win over a a reactive dog is is just so gratifying and it's to do with putting less effort in and not more effort and that's really hard to exactly. do you're a dog lover it's like how little can I do in this situation yeah. and then and then eventually hopefully you know they start to make a tiny move towards us well we were very thankful that you could step in so um well, I, yes. was, I was anyone can get that yeah <laughs> so flattered to be, to be asked and really really glad to do it yeah and Lauren, we haven't talked about vet visits. Would you would you like to to mention? Yeah, I think that would be amazing. That would be the um, great because I think again, if you've got a reactive dog and they don't like new people, going to the vets. I mean, going to the vets for a lot of dogs is a stressful event anyway. A lot of dogs just don't like the vets. So add to that into the mix a dog that's scared of people. Yeah. I think that it can make vet physics very difficult and. I mean, I'll let you explain everything with uh, with Spike that went on. Yeah. Um, so what happened with Spike is that some um, a fairly short while, a matter of months into um, him coming to join our family, um, it was discovered that he had a condition called Addison's disease. And if anyone ever wants to chat to me about Addison's disease, it's a, it's a big passion of mine and um, loads of wonderful ad- advice based on what I've learned from, from really experienced people. So... But um, what Addison's disease means, um, well, there's a, a definition of what the condition is, but but um, leaving that aside for a moment, but what it means is quite a number of regular vet visits. 
So um, along with, you know, we had this vision of rehabilitating Spike. So we then knew that he was never going to be a go to the pub dog. And he was never going to be, you know, we were never going to be throwing big dinner parties and parties, kind of a household. And, um, and we, I thought initially, um, that we could very gradually desensitize Spike to going to the vets. Um, and you um, so kindly joined, there was a time when you were working in person with people, um, and you so kindly joined Spike and I with our um, amazing vet um, to try to start that process. Um, and, um, and we knew that the starting point was going to be outside in the car park. He would be way over threshold if we went inside, inside the vet. So I don't know if I skip forward to if I just say that um, about by about the third or fourth time you joined us, it was becoming apparent that rehabilitation or desensitization wasn't yeah. going to happen. Do you want to take over from from there? Because it was the best piece of advice that you gave us. Yeah, I think it was. So, de- so desensitization is a lot of people, the vets will try and get their dog so they like the vet so they can go into the car park eventually go into the waiting room, eventually go into a room and they'll take them in and they'll do lots of treats and play. And uh, and some vet practices do do this and it can help some dogs who are anxious about the vets actually feel a lot better about going in. So it, it can be really useful. So for, for most dogs, so if you've got a dog that just doesn't really like the vet, if you've got a good vet that will do that, this works really nicely. But with Spike, what we found was it was to to desensitize him and to counter condition him to people in general was was already quite difficult to do and so to try and add into the mix people coming in and having to do things to him i just thought it's just going to take it's going to take too long for what you need so what we spoke about and then what you took forward was teaching spike that the vets is going to be something he tolerates We'll try and make it as quick for him as possible and we'll try and make it as 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 nice as possible, but it's going to be quick because I think the problem with desensitization is it's is it's it can be slow. So you're in the, the car park and you do lots of and and for him that slowness was actually very stressful. So the thought in his mind of yeah. I'm gonna to have to now go in and, and it, it just was too stressful. So we decided basically to say we're gonna teach him to tolerate it, we're gonna teach him that when we're going to teach him what he needs to do when he has a blood draw how he's going to be restrained basically um and teach him that's the predictable stress that's what you're going to get when you go to the vets yeah so I'll let you take over actually because um a lot of it was the work that you did and um, it it worked very well the best advice imaginable so luckily between you and this incredible vet that we've got who would just work with us to do anything that that um that makes bite happy um, so we we make it quick. That was one of the key pieces of, pieces of advice. So make it predictable. So we have a very very set routine that we carry out. It's so quick that it's so mostly this is blood draws. So with Edison's disease, you have to check the electrolytes um, pretty regularly to make sure the medication is where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And so these blood draws, um, you know, happen every three, four, five, six months. So. So what the way that it works um, in brief, because this will be different for every dog, but just to give an, a, a little idea of how it works for us, we drive up to the vets. Um, Spike is, again, completely tethered to me um, so that if there was any wriggling, um, you know, he couldn't he couldn't escape. All um, all into all of, of the process happens outside. So we never go into to the vet. We've had to go in once for a dental and that was he was sedated outside and then. And then I went in with him, um, and then he, and then he um, we were rung by the vet the minute he started to come round. So he he wasn't any the wiser that he'd he'd been in there. So yes, so we we drive up to the vets. We go we go to we park. I go in and say um, we're ready um, when you are, and we get a bit of a nod when the vet's about to come out. Spiky comes out of our dog crate at the back of the car. It always takes my husband and I. So in advance, I'll have shaved Spikey's neck. So um, so that de-stresses, no neck shaving um, because they have to get to his jug- jugular vein. Mm-hmm. So I desensitized him to having a neck shave um, you, you know, way before this. And, and I do that the day before always. 
I also have desensitized him to wearing a muzzle. He thinks that's a fun game. We keep it in his toy box. And um, I don't think there's any way in the world Spike would ever bite, but I really want the vet to feel totally relaxed during the procedure. Don't want that to ever be, uh, you know, a possibility. So, so he's tethered to me. I hold him in my arms. My husband does a head hold and the head hold, again, lots and lots of practice around that. It's a very known, known cue and situation for spiky where we just sort of expose, we hold his head still and expose the jugular vein. Um, at which point we give the vet the nod. She comes out in the most stealthy um, way that she can, yeah. <laughs> straight up to him. And I've never seen anybody draw blood as quickly. She is so good. And then she's gone. And beginning to end from coming out of the crate to putting him back in the crate. And by the way, when he's immediately put back in, the crate is is basically full of fantastic stuff. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> full. And he knows that. He know he associates especially tuna fish and things. So yeah, so end to end, I don't think that process or procedure takes more than a minute end to end. Mm. Really well practiced. We've done several things in in advance, as I say, the the neck shaving and back he goes in. Mm. And um he used to urinate because it was a scary thing and even even that stopped now. He just know he knows this is yeah, this is quick and and there's some tuna coming pretty soon. Yeah. And I think I think the key thing is because all these things that you've practiced, it's always been aside from the vets so like practicing the head hold uh, it probably sounds like oh you're exposing his jugular but you said earlier that that's one of his fun things that he does so you've built in it's 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 never been associated with someone holding him so this kind of restraint I think if you can practice it as loads of fun games like I'll do it without it we'll play a game and I'll hold him back and be like oh I'm gonna get you but he and it is really it's restraint where I hold him but it's so much fun that you would never think I need to panic in, in a situation where that was done. So it's, I think with people who are listening, I mean, you've done, you, uh, you've really done it amazingly for, for anyone that gets their dog used to a vet that, that is so worried like Spike was, um, you know, how, how often were you practicing those things? Were you, was it part of your everyday routine and, and how long do you think it took him to get to that point? So um, when, when we first developed the routine, we were doing it really frequently. So so actually we have to inject Spike monthly. We don't have to, he could go to the vets for his injection, but uh, another part of, of what we do with Spike is that we do his monthly um, Addison's disease injection, um, medication injection. And, um, and so initially we would do lots and lots of practice, but from that point forward, it's only top ups. So um, we, it's every 28 days that Spike has his injection and we use a head hold for that. So we don't need his, his neck for that, but I do have to inject into his scruff. So Kevin, again, will do the head hold. Now, if I say to Spikey, shall we play head? Spikey will run from one end of the kitchen to the other and then, then lie down in, in his bed in readiness. <laughs> Because he knows yeah, playing, he, lo- he loves it. Yeah, <laughs> he knows playing head means that that um, he's going to have his head hold. I, I inject him, but he obviously he doesn't particularly want the head hold. Head hold, he, he doesn't mind it, but he knows that or the injection. But he knows that that what's coming up. And we've made a pairing, so so the minute yeah. Spike smells tuna, and he only gets it at at these medical times. He doesn't get that as part mm. of his normal food. It's his big favorite. So, yeah, so when we say the word head, it means tuna. Head means tuna. That's why he rushes to his bed. And again, we're quick. We don't, we don't muck about. We, do, we head hold, inject, and out comes the tuna straight away. And a ton, you know, as much as, mm. as uh, his, his tummy will, will take. So, yeah, mm. upsetting it. So, yeah. So we yeah. kind of we, we won't have everything in the world covered, Lauren. We just we just won't because life gets, you know, throws new things at, at us. But but basically we have overcome quite a few hurdles and, and each one of those feeds into each other. So as I say, the, the cues that we use out on walks um, to keep him from being over anxious or overexcited about squirrels or something are equally the ones that we use in the garden on a rainy day or in the garden when he's, you know, it's not a good day for a walk. And um, those same cues are the ones that we use 
at the vets. So, um, and, and again, you know, when we have visitors, sometimes I'll go through those little, little routines as well. And they're just really, you know, really, really familiar things. They just love the familiarity. Yeah. They love the rhythm, rhythm and a dog like, like a reactive dog is constantly trying to, you know, figure life out and deal with things. Yeah. And actually, as soon as it's something like, oh, I know that bit. Oh, I know that too. And it just it kind of gives them confidence when there's lots in their life that is familiar because they're so scared of what is unfamiliar. Exactly. And I think, you know, you can get these dogs, a lot of reactive dogs do make bad associations very, very quickly. So if you can get them into the habit of making good associations quickly and doing all these predictable things, then I think that just, it just, it's like a compound effect. It helps later on down the line. So as many, you know, anyone is seeing just as many things, I mean, you've given so much like, like this is I mean this basically is a masterclass I think people can go and there's so much that people can go and, and do so um you know I hope people have been taking notes and they've been listening on their phone or whatever because there's so much here so you know for, for anyone listening I hope that this has really helped and really given you some tools to go and do and and also I think the last thing just to go back to Kate is is you saying that you you put your own stress first yeah um do you think that do you think that's one of the things that did make such a big impact on on everything is de-stressing yourself so you could then de-stress for spike yeah completely completely was so so there's no point in me doing something to desensitize spike or to or to try you know to progress with him um if at the same time it was causing me to feel really anxious, there's no point in, in swapping his de-stressing and you know and giving giving me the stress. So the the quest is for us both to feel relaxed mm-hmm. about what we're doing, and if we're not, and, and do you know one of the things I love about the way you work and and your podcasts is you kind of give people permission to not do the things that we feel we should do. So the kind of example being, and if you're five minutes into a walk and it's not going well, it's okay to go home. It's really okay to go home. You don't have to, to stick it out. I have to do it myself. You know, even with a dog, Alto is not reactive, but there've been times when I've got into that mind frame of, of he needs to go for his walk three times a day and actually going, hang on, for some reason, today is not going to be a good day for both of us. It's okay to not do that. So I think, yeah, giving people permission, especially if they're doing all the other things that you've spoken about, is going to more than make up for missing out on normal dog walks or dog walks for a longer period of time. Yeah. So I think that's the, the caveat, which is to say it's really fine to say I'm not going to do that. That's not going to work out for me or for him or for both of us. But but we do still have to make sure that they all their needs are being met, that there is a good balance mm. in their life. But it doesn't have to be the classic stuff like going on an hour's walk or, or whatever. There's other things that they that they equally love and that will will tire them out and 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 make them feel happy. Mm. It's been really amazing to have you on here. Thank you so much for being really generous with everything you've been talking about so one thing that if people want to find you or they want to work with you um you actually work with me so this is why it's a bit of a bonus episode um and and part of that is we've now um started to release something we call the puppy love project so I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit for people to find you and work with you I I would absolutely love to talk about that because um I am a I'm a qualified puppy tutor um, and been working under your guidance and mentorship for, I don't know, is it three or four years now? Something like that. Longer than that. It's like five, I think. Yeah. yeah. Five years. Yeah. Um, and the, the wonderful thing about what we do is it's very, very much fear free. Unfortunately, there are still some aversive methods out there, but everything we do is, is non-aversive with puppies. My, I'll just quickly um, point out where this um, interfaces with with Spikey because there is a link here, and that's that that in our very first conversation, uh, you said to me that you actually didn't think Spike had been ill treated by people, but this was um, his reactivity was the result of a woeful lack of socialization when he was a puppy, um, and you know, for that, that little puppy that didn't, a uh, little spiky as was, 
he because he didn't get what he needed to jump forward in his life that that little guy ended up in a pound in Ireland on death row so sorry I'm painting a really grim picture there but that's what happened so my motivation for teaching puppies is that really really want them to have what they need at the beginning of their life because that's the time critical time um when um, they need to do uh, receive lots of information and have lots of experiences so yes puppy love project so we um we teach that over four classes so lesson one two three and four and we cover all the classic sit down stand walking on a loose lead but equally desensitization and socialization um also get get covered um on top of that um Lauren, if anybody wants um, to find, I, I do one-to-one work as well with people um, in relation to, to puppies mostly, but if anybody wants um, any input with their re- their reactive dog, I'd always be um, really, really glad to give that input. And another thing that, that um, again, on the one-to-one front, um, one of the things that adore doing is doing one-to-ones before somebody even gets their puppy because there are a lot of things a lot of work that we can do to get someone set up so that that having a puppy is is easier and they're on the right track learning they're learning you know puppies learning what they need to to learn and and not if we come in a little bit further down the line sometimes we the the puppy has to unlearn something and we put the learning over the top of that so yes so basically dog mum mindset um on the on they would need to go to the website lauren wouldn't they it's all it's all through um it's all through dog mum mindset and just to um say that it's all online so dogma mindset is an online platform it's an online training platform so all the things they do with you but the the nice thing about the stuff they do with you is that it's one-to-one it's video consultations so you get when you get your lessons you get given you know face-to-face face-to-face on um video consultation but then you also get demo videos of puppies showing you exactly what to do so it's a really um we've what we've we've done it for a while and we've kind of really made it our own made it something that we know from all of our experience working puppies that people need and the feedback that you get from this is absolutely amazing so you already get people come back who did their one-to-ones with you online a couple of years ago that are now coming back and, and wanting to do it so um yeah really good choice and, and if anyone wants to find Kate and work with Kate and like we said do the puppy love project or do any kind of extra one-to-ones and, and find out whether that's something that's suitable then just contact us um www dogmummindset.com and you know we can fill that all in but um Kate I'm sure you're going to be inundated now with people going oh I want to speak to you about this it would be an absolute joy um to help people if I can yeah I'm really really motivated to help with uh with puppies and and if I can with reactive dogs and if anyone's got an Addison dog really would love to chat to you brilliant yeah you can get Kate if you come through um dogma mindset you can contact us and then it will get filtered down to Kate so that's probably the best way to get in contact with you but um no I think we'll start to wrap it up there because there is so much more that I could ask you there's so much more that I could get you to talk about but um you've given up so much of your time already so just to say I hope you enjoyed coming on enormous enormous pleasure thank you so much for inviting me Lauren oh it's been absolutely incredible and um I'll see you next time see you soon bye-bye Well, there's not a huge amount that I feel like I can add to this. It's all been so eloquently spoken about by Kate. So very thankful that she's come on. I hope that you've been able to take away a lot from this, whether you've got a reactive dog, whether you work with them, whether you've got a dog with maybe a different behaviour problem and it's just getting your brain thinking about the other ways that you can potentially strip it back or, or look at it from a different angle. So If you've enjoyed it, please do let us know. You can email us, contact at dogmummindset.com or you can message me at dogmummindset on Instagram and let us know how you found it. And if you want to contact Kate directly, because I know she spoke at the end about being more than happy to, to speak to people about these things, then send us an email and I'll be able to pass that on for her. And like we spoke about, Kate does do the one to one puppy side of training we do this online but it's amazing so if anyone has got a puppy and wants to look at that then of course contact us so as always if you've enjoyed this please do leave a great review because they help it to grow and please share with anybody you think might like to listen and i will see you in the next episode Mm